0: You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. This is the weirdest role reversal that I've ever been involved in. (laughs) Very strange to stand here on the other side. Thank you for letting me do this, brother. I'm very grateful. I know it's a special day for you as well, Memorial Day, your dad, a World War II veteran wasn't killed in action, but I know you must be thinking of him today as well. Um, I guess I should introduce myself. I kept getting like double and triple takes in the hallway today because of the suit or whatever. So my name's Kirkwood Bullis, and I'm the worship pastor here at Valleydale, at least for the next couple hours until they decide to do away with me, depending on what happens here. (laughs) I've got a a a special uh, message for you today. It's all based on Andy Griffith, season two, episode four. (laughs) Oh boy! I actually like to. I can't believe it. I had so much time to prepare. I didn't work in any Andy Griffith, so I apologize. Uh, Apologize, Pastor. That's actually. I think Andy Griffith is just like a teensy bit before my time. Just like a little bit. I missed it. Just a little bit. but I am getting older. I've noticed this recently, like Hollywood is doing this thing now where I'm old enough that they're making money off of my nostalgia. Have you seen this? They're re-releasing all the Disney movies, they're live action, and what does the trailer always say? The trailer's like, recapture the magic, rediscover the legend. I don't know, it's just a lot of re-words they're saying do that. But it's an, it's a, I thought about it, it's a marketing strategy that actually works. You know, I, I still see a lot of these movies. It works for Star Wars as well. They're capitalizing on nostalgia. Why does that work? Well, I think it works because they're helping you go back to the first time that you heard a particular story. They're, they're asking you to experience that emotion that you, that you felt the first time that you saw whatever movie this was. How does that connect? Well, this is a really familiar passage that Pastor just read. It's, real, it's central, central to the gospel. And my challenge for all of us is as we go through it, will we see it with fresh eyes? And can, can the Lord help us to see it and hear it the way that the first people heard what Jesus is saying? Because it's a tough word. It's, it's a difficult word. Um, But it's so important of a word that it was featured in all four of the Gospels. You guys know how the different Gospels were written at slightly, slightly different times? Some of them were written simultaneously, but they were written to different audiences, and they sometimes contain some different stories to minister to a particular audience. Well, this story is so central. These words that Jesus said, these words that are said by Christ are so central that they're in all four of the Gospels. Let's begin to look at them together. We'll start there in verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see this with the the rabbis in the Old Testament and and the New Um, They call people to themselves when they have something important to say. Jesus calls everyone to him. He's got something important to say. But I think it's interesting because he's saying, if anyone would come after me, even though he's already got a crowd in front of him, they're already around him. So what does that say? He says, if anyone would come after me, then do this. Well, I think that can show us that even in that day, there's a difference between hearing something And actually listening to it. They hear what he has to say, but are they willing to obey it? Jesus is about to show the people around him how they can become doers of the word and not just hearers. Uh, Yogi Berra famously said, you can observe a whole lot just by watching. I really enjoy that quote. It's somewhat redundant, but it's true. How many times have you been a coach or a parent or a teacher or a, or a pastor, how many times have you said something to someone and you, you feel like they're making eye contact, you can tell they're hearing you, and yet they go away and act like they didn't hear anything at all, that there's nothing to obey. Jesus knows this truth. That's why he calls everyone to him and he says, here's how you become doers of my words. And then he hits them with, if you want to follow me, take up your cross Deny yourself and take up your cross. If you want to follow me, you have to die. Because that's what the cross is. The cross cross is an instrument of death. The cross is a death sentence. The people that heard these words, surely they, they would understand this already. If you see someone with a cross, that person is a dead man walking. It's not going to go well for them. The life that they know has come to an end. Nothing else matters anymore because they're going to their death. And I think, again, we, we hear, we've heard this so many times. You've got to take up your cross. You've got to follow him. I've heard it so many times. I grew up in church. We've sung it so many times. You've got the old rugged cross. We sung that one as well. We think about loving the cross and, and I, I fear that we forget all the implications of that. Here's an example. Think about this. Uh, it's 1997. It's 1997, you just turn on, on all the TV. You just turn the TV on. Where are my 90s people at? What's up? Where are my 90s people? Yeah, you guys are all older than me. So you've just turned on the TV in 1997. I was born in 85, maybe I am a 90s person, I don't know. You turn on the TV, there's 60 minutes Man, remember network TV, by the way? We should pour one out for network. This is just for anybody. Well, this is, I don't know. I'm looking around. For anybody younger than 20, I might as well be talking about Andy Griffith right now. They're like, network TV. I don't know what that is. You've just turned on 60 Minutes, and man, they've got a doozy for you tonight. It seems that there's this group of people, 39 people to be exact, and they've all killed themselves at the exact same time. Turns out it's a cult called Heaven's Gate, and they're in California. Of course, they're in California. And they're in California, and they've all killed themselves at the same time. And you're looking at this, and, and your spine is starting to tingle, and maybe you've got some goosebumps, and you're getting a little bit worked up. You've got some morbid curiosity, you keep watching, and they start to talk more about the cult. And they say that the leader's name is Marshall Applewhite. And you probably, don't, you probably don't remember that name, but you probably do remember his face, Marshall Applewhite. This is the image of old Marshall from one of his initiation videos into Heaven's Gate. You remember this guy? And you're watching this news report and you're just becoming more and more horrified. What kind of masochistic lunatic, what kind of sed- sadistic psychopath is asking people to go and kill themselves so that they can live. And that's probably how people heard Jesus the first time he said, if anyone would come after me, let him take up his cross. That's how terrifying the cross was, an instrument of death a death so terrible that they made up a new word to describe the pain involved. You've heard the word excruciating pain. It means out of the cross. Out of the cross. Jesus is saying in order to follow him, you have to take up a cross. Does he mean to literally die? Well, I think we need to look at that. But first... Let's think about what it would mean to die to yourself. To die to yourself. Because here in this modern era, I, I feel like we've, we've changed the meaning of this phrase, to take up your cross. And I think we've done two things that have sold, that have, that have sold short the cross, that have robbed the cross of its meaning in our lives. One of them is we look at the cross and we focus on this aspect of self-denial. We focus on self-denial. Well, Jesus took up his cross. Um, He says, deny yourself. Okay, I'm going to work on that. I'm just going to deny. I'm not going to worry about the cross yet. I'm going to deny myself. I'm going to, um, I know what I'll do. I'm going to fast from social media for a little while. Or I know what I'm doing. If some, some, I know some people, we're Baptists, some people still observe Lent. That's, a, that's fine. I'm going to give up coffee and sweets for Lent. I'm going to focus on my self-denial. And we missed the point that the cross is not about denying something to ourselves. It's denying ourselves entirely. Amen. <laughs> Had to do it at least one time. It feels good. It feels really good. had to do it at least once. Next, I'll try to walk backwards up the stairs. I'm, I'm scared to do that one. Here's the second thing. The second thing. Um, we throw a pity party. We throw a pity party. You heard the, the expression, well, that's just my cross to bear. That's just my cross. My mother-in-law's in town the whole weekend. That's just my cross to bear. My kids won't eat their vegetables. That's just my cross to bear. I'm a Mississippi State fan. It's just my cross (laughs) to bear. Sorry, Rich. (laughs) I forgot. I should should have used a different school. My bad. But we're laughing because it's, it's, it's ridiculous. These things aren't actual crosses. It's not the kind of thing that ruins your whole life. I want you to hear this distinction again. The cross is not about denying something to yourself. It's about denying yourself entirely. That's what it means to die to yourself. I keep saying that. Maybe you're asking, what does it mean when you die to yourself? Here's another way of looking at it. You've heard that phrase, you're dead to me, right? It's a terrible thing to say. You're dead to me. People say it when they're just absolutely at the peak of their anger. It means... I will just not respond to you anymore. I'm not thinking about you anymore. Well, this, the dying to self flips that script a little bit. Instead, it's you looking in the world at the world. You're looking at the world and you say, world, you're dead. Or, world, I'm dead to you. I'm dead to you, world. I'm dead to all of your trials and temptations. Well, not the trials, but I'm dead to your temptations. Quit coming after me. Um, take me off your email list, right? Quit coming after me. with it. Give, Quit with the advertisements for all of these things that would tempt me. I'm, I'm dead to you. Take me off of your call list. Take me off of your voter registration. Let's be real, they're never going to take you off the voter registration. That's impossible. You're going to be voting for the next 200 years. You're welcome. But you're trying to make a separation from yourself and the world. I hope you're starting to think. I hope that your mind is beginning to race about ways that that the Lord is calling you to be so divorced from the priorities and the temptations of the world. But we have to circle back. We have to circle back to the text because, I mean, Jesus wasn't talking about a literal death, was he? Well, you tell me. Let's look at it in context. Go back up to verse 31. This is one of the most important, one of the more important passages here in the book of Mark. Commentators say that the focus of the entire book of Mark hinges on Peter's confession of the Christ. Which is actually in verse uh, 29. Peter says, "You you are the Christ, So the book has hinged on that statement. Peter said the statement, you are the Christ. Then what do you have right after that? And then Jesus began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be killed. This is the context. And then after three days, rise again. And he said this, Plainly, That's one of my favorite phrases in this whole chapter. He said this plainly. Why is that important? Well, if you've read the Gospels, you know how often Jesus speaks in questions and in parables. How often does Jesus talk and they're like, Jesus, my Lord, I don't understand what you mean. What do you mean by the bread? What do you mean about the pearl of great price? What what do you mean about this guy who goes and buys a field? What do you mean about the unrighteous judge? They don't understand any of it. And yet here, Mark records that he speaks plainly. When he's talking about his death, he speaks plainly, and you can tell that Peter really understands. Why? Because look look back there at the text. Then in uh, in thirty three, turning and no, sorry, Peter still in verse thirty two. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Peter says, "No way, this can't happen. You're not you're not going to do that." Lord we'll we'll keep that from happening. And then Jesus says, you can see how serious he is about what he's talking about. He says, "Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man." And you might have heard this passage before and you might have thought, "Wow, that was pretty harsh from Jesus." Is it harsh? Well, I would you don't have to turn there, but I'd commend to you Matthew four ten because Jesus is talking. This actually, let's all go there. Matthew four um, ten. This is only going to be a fifty five minute message, Pastor. I promise you. It's so easy to get distracted. Matthew four ten. This is right at the end of the temptations of Christ. Right at the end of the temptations of Christ, Jesus is addressing Satan directly, and he says, "Be gone, Satan." For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Satan has just offered Jesus a, a, a supposed way to lordship without having to go through any of the suffering. You remember this from the temptations of Christ. He says, "Fall down and worship me. I'll do what. I'll I'll make you as great as you want to be, but don't go through all of this bloody redemption stuff." That's essentially what Satan is saying, and Jesus says, "Be gone." And in English. That's different than get behind me, but not in the Greek. Hypago is the exact same word in both of those passages. Jesus takes this deadly seriously, pun intended, because he knows that this death that he will endure is the only possible way for redemption. The cross of Christ, my friends, it is as central as it gets To everything, everything that we believe. That's why 2,000 years later, we're singing songs like the rugged cross and we're lifting up an instrument of death and saying, I cherish it. I love it. Let me carry a cross with me. Let me wear a cross around my neck because that's the instrument of redemption. And poor Peter got in the way and he tried to say that shouldn't happen. And Jesus says rightfully, that's the word of Satan. So is Jesus talking about a literal death? You better believe he is. He's talking about his death. But he doesn't say, take up your cross, period. What does he say? Take up your cross and follow me. He's not asking us to do something that he won't already do. And that leads us to the question, well, why should you take up your cross? Well, we sort of just answered that because we said we do it to follow Jesus. But more specifically, Jesus anticipates this question. He's such a helpful communicator. Don't you just love Jesus? I pray you do. He anticipates this question. He goes in verse 35. He says, For whoever would save his life would lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's We'll save it. Why should you take up your cross? Well, because implication, because if you're not taking up your cross, you're trying to save your life. And that just means you're going to lose your life. And not lost. not like you lose the TV remote, or you lose your phone. The word there apolese, say: lose as in, be destroyed, to perish. Your life is gone. Christ will lose his life. He's calling you. To give yours? Does that mean that you have to die? Well, we'll get to that. Look at verse 36. He continues with rhetorical questions. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? This is the teaching of Jesus I mentioned earlier. He teaches often with questions. These are rhetorical questions. They're easily answered. The answer to both of these questions is nothing. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his life? Profits him nothing. If you have the whole world, you have nothing. What can a man give in return for his soul? Nothing. Why is that? Because he doesn't own it in the first place. Christ created him, body and soul. All men and women created body and soul. He owns all things. <laughs> and then he extends his hands and, and offers you a chance at redemption and sa- basically says, Will you accept that I own all things? Will you accept my lordship? And he gives that choice to man. Verse 38 there's a, there's a cost if you forfeit your soul because this life is not the end. Look at this, 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. What do we get from this? Well, first of all, there's a day when he will come again. When he was speaking to them that day, speaking about the cross, having a conversation, it was probably fairly difficult to detect his glory, and I think that that was purposeful. I think that that was purposeful. But there is a day, and many of us know that scripture, when He will return, and at that point, his glory will not be difficult to detect. Revelation says that he's coming, having split the sky wide open. He's coming riding a war horse. He's coming with his robe dipped in blood, and it's not his blood. It's the blood of his enemies as he treads the winepress of his wrath. It's the same Jesus. That's the same Jesus. And so you say, well, how could Jesus, who's so compassionate, how could Jesus, who's so compassionate, be ashamed of people? We love him because he first loved us. Uh, How can we relate that to sin? We sin first and we keep on sinning. And then he redeems us of our sin. What does it look like to be ashamed of Christ? Let's just, let's just ask that question. We can give a couple examples. Here's some quick examples in the text of Scripture itself before we get to practical application. John 6, 66. Ooh, that's an ominous text. John six sixty six. Jesus says, if you want to follow after me, you need to eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. That's what he says in John six sixty six. What happens right after that? Everybody deserts him. They're ashamed of him. This is too hard of a teaching. They're ashamed of that teaching. They walk away. They said it's too difficult. It's too crazy. Well, this is still a crazy message. I think it might even get crazier the fir- as we continue to dig into it. Will you hear him today? Or will you be ashamed? You might be thinking to yourself, Well, I'm not ashamed. I've even got Romans 1.16 memorized. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, the power of God unto salvation, the Jew first and the Greek. Because you went to Iwana clubs. You've got that one memorized. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, it's an easy thing to say, it's a lot harder thing to live. Be ashamed. Are you ashamed of the gospel? Here's something I'd commend to you. I've been been teaching through this verse by verse, but this is all one one speech from Christ. And he says, if you would follow me, take take up your cross. Take up your cross. The implication is, if you don't take up your cross... You're saying to Christ that you're ashamed of him. You see, my friends, there's no half, you you can't halfway take up your cross. You can't take up one beam of the cross. You can't be half dead to the world. It is, it truly is all or nothing. And you say that's impossible. You're dead right, it's impossible. And if you walk away from this today and you're thinking, oh, I just need to white knuckle a little bit more and maybe I can deny myself a little bit more and maybe I can make sure I'm dead to the world. and You you can't do it. You can't do it on your own. Do you see it, brother and sister? He's already done it. Christ has already accomplished this. You can't even follow him without the help of his Holy Spirit. So rejoice that it's already done. We'll continue with some points of application and we'll get practical. But my friends, no no amount of practical application is going to get you any closer to heaven. The only thing that, that gets you to heaven is the... Is the finished work, the saving sacrifice of your personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? Will you follow him? Will you follow him today? If you're already following him, will you follow him more closely? Here's some practical ways. I, I think this will be helpful because I, I was even talking with Pastor earlier of just kind of struggling with the specific application. What is this supposed to look like in my life? We, we, we should say that in, in the early days, this was a very, very literal call from Christ. Do you hear what I'm saying? Um, to take up one's cross, I mean, several of the apostles where history tells us, they literally did that. They were literally crucified. And then throughout history, we know that there's untold millions, maybe billions of martyrs, those people who were killed for the cause of Christ. But we need to say a word about our context, because our context is historically very unique. We live in a place where it's still here in Alabama. And, and listen, I, I know I'm with you guys. I, I, I see the TV from time to time. I log into Twitter from time to time. The world is indeed going to hell in a handbasket. I see it too. We can acknowledge that while also acknowledging you're probably not going to be killed for your faith. Okay? And you know what? That might even mean you got a harder job to do in this life. As you live for your faith for real in a sea of nominalism. In, in just the milieu, the very air we breathe can be nominally Christian. People trying to be halfway Christian. So, here's a couple things that I think you can do, a couple things that have definitely helped me. One is just speak about Christ with boldness. And you say, Kirkwood, I'm not gifted to speak. Um, I don't want to get, I'd, I'd rather be caught dead than like on stage or whatever. Um, I get that. Here's what I mean about speak with boldness. Just speak with everybody in a similar way that you would speak to your Christian friends. I got to be honest. I, I I'm casting all um, piety aside, and I'm just telling you guys, by God's grace, I really can't have a conversation anymore. That does, if it's about me, it's about God. If people ask me how things are going, I just I just can't believe what the Lord is doing. Um, you know, everybody in my house is healthy. Wow, praise the Lord. I can't believe how good it's been. Well, how's it going, Kirkwood? Well, I just can't believe what the Lord's doing. We're, we're really, we're really, the kids are sick. You know, my daughter burned herself. We've got all this stuff going on, but I just can't believe what the Lord is doing in our lives. It's unbelievable. It's really hard, but it's unbelievable. Speak with boldness. And that, that you don't have to be bold. You're just talking about yourself. Here's what I've seen it's a lot easier to segue into the gospel when the gospel's already in the conversation. When God's already in the conversation, suddenly it's just, you're just continuing with someone what you've already said. So speak, that. I challenge you, speak that way in the workplace. Speak that way in your neighborhood. That's, that, we've seen wonderful fruit from those kind of conversations in our neighborhood. This is a way to die to yourself because here's this, this next point. Don't be so concerned about your spiritual reputation. Why are you, why are you so worried to bring God into a conversation? Well, it's probably because you're concerned about your spiritual reputation. I mean, sure, you want people to think you're, you want people to know you're a Christian. But what do you want people to say about you? Well, you're probably thinking things like, well, you know, Kirkwood, he's a, you know, he's a good, he's a chill guy. You know, he's not one of like one of those Jesus freak Christians. He's chill. We can hang with him. Like, it's not going to be tough conversations. Is that how you want to be known? I know that that's, that's, that's probably a fleshly desire that's, that, that's, that's hit you before, that's tempted you before, that you want to be a chill Christian because we have this image of like what a Jesus freak looks like. don't you you've got the mental image right now some of y'all are thinking about dc talk and i feel you so much but jesus freak, you think about jesus freak a lot of times you're thinking about john the baptist right just come out of the desert he's got the huge white fro well he wasn't white he's got the huge near eastern fro you know the hair is going everywhere maybe he's eating locusts that's the jesus freak that's in the Levitical law. I just read that this week. That's why, lo- that's why he was eating locusts, because those are the only bug you're allowed to eat. I'm not saying you should. I'm just saying that, that it would be okay. Moses would be fine with that. <laughs> Jeez, so that's the image of the Jesus freak. And, and we've got that in our mind. And somehow that protects us from having to think about the fact that the Jesus freak is really right. A life completely sold out in every conversation, not worried about their spiritual reputation. A life completely devoted to Christ is going going to turn people away. It's going to turn people off. It might make the next conversation a little bit shorter. They might have it right. What else should we say? We've been reading um, Pilgrim's Progress with the kids. Just an incredible, um, and it's an incredible read. Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan wrote it like 380 years ago. Still just incredibly relevant. It's an allegory talking about the Christian walk. We're reading the Little Pilgrim's Progress. I commend that to you parents. Little Pilgrim's Progress, read it with your kids. You have some really, really helpful gospel conversations. Who who knows the Pilgrim's Progress? How much of this i got to explain? Okay, so most people you know. So the main character's name is Christian, and he's going through the Christian walk, and he's encountering all of these things in the Christian walk, and all of them are named. He has a friend who's named Obstinate, and he has a friend that's named Pliable, and Obstinate is so stubborn, and Pliable's always changing his mind, that sort of thing. These are the different characters that you meet in the Christian walk. At one point, he gets outfitted with the full armor of God. And they give him the sword of the spirit. And there's only one time that he has to use the sword. He goes down into a valley and a giant attacks him. A giant comes after him and he has, he's forced to use the sword to kill, to kill the giant in self-defense. It's the only time he has to use it. It's a terrible battle. He kills the giant, and he runs away. This is Christian. You want to know what the giant's name is? Self. John Bunyan understood that the self will continue to in, to assert itself, and and is even willing to bring you down to destruction. So as we think about putting the self to death, let's just meditate for a moment on what Christ did for us, what Christ did for us. He came with no privileges, few comforts. As we saw, he endured every assault of the evil one. He was rejected. He was led out to die. He was laid out in death. This is Jesus. It's where love for others took him. He was led by his love for others into the world to forget himself in the needs of others. You see, brothers and sisters, this is the distinction between the message of Christ and the message that we saw with the heaven's gate cult. And we need to see that distinction because heaven's gate was like, yeah, you got to kill yourself so that you can experience more pleasure for yourself so that you can have a heightened sense of pleasure like the world has never seen. And make sure you do this for yourself and get as much pleasure for yourself as you possibly can. And don't worry about taking anybody else with you. Just make sure you get yours and get gone. That's what the cult Said. That's what the world continued to say. Heaven's Gate, 1997. They had 39 members. They were all gone and they were forgotten. I had to remind you today that they even existed. Jesus' group. 11. When Jesus ascended, he had his 11 apostles and scattered others. And they knew that to take up their cross meant serving others. And 2,000 years later, that message is as sharp as it's ever been. Let's stay in a pastor says this a lot, and I I agree with him, that I I don't know what the Lord is going to teach you today. I don't don't purport to have any idea what the Lord is going to teach you, but today we've been obedient to be here. We've been obedient to read the Word of God and to sing the Word of God. We've been obedient to pray according to the Word of God, and now... By his grace, we've heard the word of God go forth. So, Christian, how will you respond today? We're going to give you a chance to respond in just a second. Pastor's going to be down here and he's going to receive you if you would come. How How is God working? How is God going to apply this to your life? How is he going, how is he right now showing you how you need to turn your back on the world and turn instead to the cross? That's that other old song, the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, there's no turning back. Maybe you need to repent today of ways that you've turned back. I certainly have been doing that all week. Maybe you realize that you need accountability in your Christian walk and you need to come forward today and you need to join this church. You've been visiting too long. It's time to make the decision to join and receive that accountability. Or maybe the Lord's been convicting you. Maybe the Holy Spirit has been calling with that still small voice and saying, it is time to devote your life to me. Enough of this nominalism. Enough of trying to live halfway dead to the world. It's time to completely die to yourself. And if that's you, you need to come forward today. You need to respond in that way. Or maybe you just need prayer. Either way, I'm going to pray for you now, and we're going to sing when I survey that wondrous cross, and pastor's going to be here to receive you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, you've, you've heard everything we've had to say. And even more than that, you've heard what's going on in each one of our hearts. Your eyes have been searching each and every one of us. And we thank you, Lord, for the care that you take, the care that you take for even us, your lowly servants here on earth. And you call us more than servants. You call us friends and you bring us into your family. Father, my prayer today is especially for those who have still, maybe they've masked it on the outside, but they have not, they have not received your free gift and they have not entered into your redemption. Oh, Lord, would you convict them? And for those of us who are a part of your family, Lord, lead us even now as we sing, surveying the wondrous cross in all of its unspeakable passion and glory. Lord, allow us to honor you with the remainder of this worship service today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Pastors down front, you guys come as your name. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.